What's happening, ATL gang? It's your boy Tuan here. Nav and I have had the pleasure of interviewing some special guests on our podcast the last few weeks, so we definitely miss talking hoops with you guys. On this week's pod, we want to share our thoughts on some key trade deadline moves and quickly touch base on the buyout market acquisitions. We discussed the Paul Pierce firing from ESPN and other social media blunders and mishaps from former NBA players and executives. And then we give our thoughts on the disastrous Toronto Raptors season so far and where we think they should go from here. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 30 of the ATL podcast. Uh, we missed you guys the last two, three, four weeks. We've had a few guests on. So Nav and I haven't been able to, you know, sit down and talk hoops. Um, with you guys. So now what's going on, baby? Not too much, man. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, want to just give a shout out to Murphy and Mike for jumping on our pod, had a blast recording with them. Um, other than that, not much, just hanging in, had a great weekend, just watching the masters, taking it easy since we're on the, the stay at home order. Um, I mean, you don't have to twist my arm to stay at home and watch golf all weekend. Yeah, how how was I know I didn't get to watch too much of it. I I know Hideki Matsuyama won that one, but was it down to the wire? Who who else was in contention uh, Sunday afternoon there? To be honest, it wasn't down to the wire. I thought there were opportunities for certain players to sort of come back or cover ground, but um, no one was able to do that. Xander Shoffley was sort of there at times, but he couldn't get out of his own way. Um, <laughs> the Zalatoris guy who had a, had a breakthrough weekend, he, he was definitely playing super aggressive and that was pretty, um, entertaining to see, like he was leaving nothing out there or sorry, he was leaving nothing left on the table, but again, he just wasn't able to capitalize at times that Hideki Matsuyama was, um, sort of messing up. Like, um, Hideki Matsuyama shot one over, I believe. So he didn't have the greatest route himself, but you know, it's you got to have that perfect combination of just strong play and luck. And like, there was one hole that he, that Matsuyama birdied that, you know, the ball went into the woods, bounced off, uh, bounced off a tree and landed on the, on the rough. So, um, and then his second shot was also pretty, pretty atrocious, but he ended up birdieing. So like, he just got lucky bounces. Uh, everything worked out his way, but man, golf is hard. Like you got to string together four days of exceptional play, you know? Yeah, especially under that type of pressure, under that spotlight. So with with Matsuyama, where where does he rank in the world before um, this this win? And had he has he had other like big wins um, under his belt before before this Masters? I saw something that he hadn't won in like fourteen hundred days. I don't know <laughs> where he, I don't know where he ranks in the world, but he's like he's probably one of the best ball strikers in golf. You know, putting has always been his Achilles heel, but he was putting the ball really well all weekend. Um, he's actually a guy that I've always put money on, whether it was in a golf pool or betting outright. I've always had Hideki Matsuyama in, in on like my um, on my fantasy pools. Like I had him in a uh, in an office pool this year, but right. I didn't end up winning. But I did have him. Um, I really like watching him play because, like, again, he he can drive the ball really well. He hits his irons probably, you know, he's probably one of the best ball strikers in the PGA. So um, it was definitely really nice to see him win because he's been sort of in contention at times at the Masters. 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was great for him and, you know, first Japanese player to win a master's. Yeah. That's, that's huge for them. They're, they're killing it on those individual sports, especially with, uh, Osaka, uh, killing it up on the ATP there too. So, um, I know you've been playing and going out on the links the last two weeks. Uh, how, how'd you play the last two weekends out there? I'm just warming up for Justin's man. I can't, I, I can't wait. For, <laughs> I can't wait for next weekend. Um, it's giving me, uh, it's giving me flashbacks of that time we all played at Ayers Valley. Yeah, it's gonna be the first time I play all the, the the season, so I'm gonna be in rough shape. I'll need to be out there like half an hour, an hour before just getting on the range. But you know, trying to get my touch back, it's it's, it's definitely been a while. And I need to buy new gear too. I didn't buy new gear last year, and I didn't, and I, I need to buy new gear this year. I need to uh, be up to day on level in terms of looking fresh. Uh, you know, feel good, play good. <laughs> What's going on with you? We're you're in Toronto right now, right? Yeah, I'm in Toronto right now. Unfortunately, couldn't join you in the studio there. Uh, but yeah, I was helping out um, the girlfriend with, with some moves up in here. So just moving some furniture around, helping her throw some shit away. So um, spent the, the weekend up in, uh, in Toronto. And I know, again, with the stay-at-home stay order, um, you know, this past week, you know, what have you, what have you and Shona been up to? I know we haven't really had the chance to, you know, update any of our listeners on what's been going on. We've been so busy with having our guests on the last three episodes so like what have you guys been up to like any new movies any new shows that you've been watching anything you can recommend to to the listeners um honestly nothing it doesn't feel that different for me man i've been working a ton just regular hours um like we were saying before we started airing the podcast things feel pretty normal for a retail perspective uh, which is pretty funny given the fact that there's a stay-at-home order but hey, like I'm not, I'm not complaining. But it definitely doesn't feel very different from, um, from the outside looking in. Um, Shoda's watching Succession, and I just finished watching Bear Town on HBO, which was really sick. I didn't know if I'd be able to get into it because it's all subtitles and it's Scandinavian, so it takes place in Sweden. Interesting language when you can't when you can't uh, decipher it. But <laughs> yeah. it was a really good. Uh, it was a really good show it threw me for a loop like once you start getting real deep into it i didn't expect yeah. it i didn't expect it to take the turn that it did um it's like i like i they were talking about it on the ringer it's kind of like a it's like a hockey version of friday night lights but there's a little bit more crime and like it's a bit more gritty great show cool cool hbo right hbo europe yeah yeah damn i need it i need to get a subscription of that I know HBO just kills it with all the shows, so I definitely need to get on that platform for sure. Because the only thing I have is Netflix and like Amazon TV. Uh, but again, I don't watch too much TV right now. I'm watching The Office, which I'm sure majority of the people have already seen and kind of gone through those series, um, the other seasons. Uh, and I'm trying to get started on uh, F1, Try to Survive. So I watched the first two uh, seasons. And I know that they just came out with a third one. Um, and even though I'm not like an F1 fan or fanatic at all, that that is a great, great show. So um, yeah, ready to just jump into the third season and see how that one goes. Yeah, I got to check that one out. Yeah, definitely. You definitely do. Like I have, I had no like really understanding of how everything works when I started the first season and kind of the, the drivers and the, the different teams, but it's actually a really good, really good show. But Let's go. Let's talk Coos, man. It's been so long that we've actually missed out on a bit of the 
tread deadline like reactions, but let's start there. You know, we it's been probably two weeks now since the tread deadline happened and so much hype around the Raptors, a lot of attention with, you know, Lowry, either is he gonna get traded to the Heat, to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and, you know, they eventually traded away Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr. and Roddy Hood. And some other notable moves with Aaron Gordon going to Denver, um, Victor Oladipo going to Miami, and then Dave Vooch going to Chicago, teaming up with Zach Levine there. So, um, yeah, what were your initial thoughts on some of these trades and kind of, you know, in the last two weeks, how much um, has it changed your mind or are you still kind of, um, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down on some of these trades? Um, yeah, I think for, I'll, let's talk about Orla- I, let's talk about Orlando first. I think when I started getting the Woj bomb notifications on what Orlando was doing, um, I was kind of like. WTF like what are these guys thinking like they are pressing the rebuild button and you know the more I the more I sort of thought about it looked into it I kind of I kind of really like what Orlando did because I think it takes a lot of balls and a lot of awareness to press the rebuild button twice now and, you know, if I'm, if I'm in Orlando, if I'm talking an Orlando fan off a ledge right now, which I'm sure you could have <laughs> easily done on, on trade deadline day, you know, I'm just going to say like, look, Jeff Weltzman is steering your ship. And as a Raptor mm-hmm. fan, you and I know that this guy is very, very competent. Um, if it was Tillman for Tita's son, you know, <laughs> letting go of all these guys, I might say, yeah, you might want to jump. Um, but you know, Jeff Weltzman knows what he's doing. And, you know, that combination of Fournier, Gordon, Vucevic, Terrence Ross, Fultz, um, Jonathan Isaac, like they were promising, but, you know, there were circumstances, whether it was injuries or what have you, that prevented Orlando from really achieving what they were able to achieve, right? So, you know, I think for them, they realized that with this core that they have, you know, they've been to the playoffs twice you know, as an eight seed. So you could have like tinkered with the lineup, maybe added pieces, but their ceiling probably would have been like a four or five seed. So I really like the fact that, you know, Orlando had the awareness to say, Hey, look, this is not it. Sure. We're going to be literally probably the worst product to watch for the next few years, but you know, they had to shift focus or sorry, they have to change their focus. Um, They can, you know, maybe get Cade Cunningham next year. And the future could be very bright for Orlando. You know, there were three first round picks uh, dealt in the trade deadline. Orlando got all three. And, and, you know, another, another thing I want to shout out Orlando for was, you know, sending their players off to greener pastures. So, you know, they sent Aaron Gordon to go contend with the Nuggets. They sent Vucevic to pair up with a budding superstar in Zach Levine. And then they mm-hmm. sent Fournier to a historic franchise in Boston. So I really like what Orlando did. I think that um, they're just setting themselves up for the future now, but I think it, t- it takes a lot of balls to do that. So I want to give them yeah. credit. Uh, I, when, when you think about the NBA and the one thing I've learned through the years of just watching, analyzing, observing how things work is you don't want to be that team that's kind of in the middle of the pack. You don't want to be the eighth, ninth, 10th seed, which is where Orlando has been for so long, really since the Dwight Howard days, 
with it, uh, with Orlando, and they swung and missed on a lot of their draft picks. Like Mo Bamba was supposed to be a, you know, a crucial piece of their team, and he can't even get off the bench. And you know, they they have guys um, that are main players on their team, uh, like Fultz, like Jonathan Isaac, that are hurt. So they weren't going to go anywhere with these three guys. And I agree with you 100% that they traded Vucevic probably at his highest stock ever, being a second-time All-Star, coming off you know a really good um, half season so far, and them getting Wendell Carter Jr., getting two first-round picks from the Bulls, again, who aren't a top four or five team. They could, you know, an injury to like Zach Levine, an injury to one of their key players could, you know, tank their season. So Orlando did really well in terms of getting a great haul back for those three guys. I like what they did. Again, you don't want to be in the middle. You either want to be battling for, you know, top seed to get home court advantage throughout the playoffs, or you want to be a top, top bottom team in the league to get a top five, top six pick um, to really hit on one of those guys, which we've seen, you know, throughout like the 76ers, quick rebuild in three, four years because they've been able to accumulate top three picks, top five picks, and, you know, groom them into the superstars that they are. And look at, look at them now. They're first in the East. They're able to, you know, compete and just add those different pieces. So I like what they're doing. It's definitely take them another four or five years, um, depending on how well they draft, to get back to where they need to be. Um, so huge boost for them. I really like the Aaron Gordon move for Denver. I, I don't think they gave up too much. You know, they gave up Gary Harris, RJ Hampton in a, in a first. But Aaron Gordon is replacing um, the Grant move that they lost uh, to Detroit. You know, he's a super long athletic three guard, three, four guard that can guard, you know, the best player on, on the other team. And I think he's been huge. He's been playing really well. Him and uh, the Joker already have a good connection, um, good continuity there. So I like what they're doing uh, from Denver side as well. Yeah, I like, I like, um, I like what all those Orlando players mean for, you know, Chicago, Boston, and Orlando, or sorry, and uh, Chicago. I think Chicago's in an interesting place because they've been mediocre for so long. They've actually been pretty bad for so long. Zach Lafine is having a breakout season. So, you know, Nikola, Nikola Vucevic is the best shooting big man in the NBA. And I think that if you're Chicago, you kind of have to pull that move. You kind of have to surround someone uh, with Zach or pair someone up with Zach Lafine. And I know they had Laurie Markkinen. Now he's coming off the bench. Um, stylistically, you know, it's questionable how all three of those guys are going to be able to coexist. But uh, I think, you know, if you're Chicago, you got to take a chance. You got to take a swing. It brings excitement to the city for the first time in a really long time. And so what? Maybe, you know, for the next three years, if they can stay healthy, their ceiling is probably a four or five seed. But that's all right, because it's going to get fans and seats. And it's just going to bring excitement to a franchise that was sort of, you know, out of the equation for so long. So I think if it's if you're Chicago, it's kind of the move that you had to make. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Denver you know, they got a, they got a really good player in Aaron Gordon. I think it's just going to take a lot of pressure off of Jamal Murray, who's been under the microscope since really the bubble when he had that breakout season. Yeah. I think that now he can sort of play more relaxed and not have to really think about carrying such a large offensive load night in and night out. You know, at times it can be Aaron Gordon. And yeah, I think, 
uh, him and him and the Joker are going to play fantastic. And I think it's going to help the Joker's MVP case. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's definitely the uh, number one MVP candidate right now, especially with injuries to LeBron James and Joel Embiid. I do think Embiid can still um, get there depending on how the rest of the season goes, because again, 76ers are still first in the East. I believe Denver's fourth right now. So I think the narrative, I think standings do matter in that race. So we'll, we'll see how that one um, unravels. Let's quickly touch base with the, the Raptors and their moves. You know, we were all anticipating, especially with the struggles the Raptors have had, you know, such a um, unconventional season for them, a strange season to say the least. And we were all anticipating Lowry being traded to one of these teams, them getting some sort of asset back and kind of allowing Van Van Vliet to be the lead guard for the team. And then, you know, allowing OG Siakam, even Norm at that time to kind of take another step up and kind of start retooling, not rebuilding, but retooling, adding guys that are going to fit into their system. So what were your thoughts when Lowry wasn't traded and then kind of out of the blue traded Norm Palloway to Portland? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I have so many thoughts regarding the Raptors right now, and I'm sure that, you know, by the end of this podcast, I'll be able to get out most of them. But with regards to Lowry, I had kind of uh, parted ways with him internally. You know, I, I thought it was a done deal. I thought that, you know, it was either going to be Philly. I thought, I thought it was for sure going to be Philly. But then, you know, the Lakers got into the equation. Miami got into the equation. Um, so I, I had kind of parted ways with them in my head. And, you know, I had accepted the fact that, yeah, you know, we're just going to try to get as many pieces as we can. Uh, for a guy that's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year, not, you know, very unlikely that he's going to sign with the Raptors, but who knows? And then, you know, trade deadline went down to, you know, that three o'clock mark and nothing had happened. And then it, Woj tweeted that um, Toronto is not going to trade Kyle Lowry. So I was kind of just like, man, what, like, where are, what's our plan now? You know, now that we haven't dealt him, I thought dealt, I thought dealing it made a lot of sense for us and for him, I thought it would have been the, the perfect, uh, you know, mutual agreement, but it didn't happen. And now I'm kind of, I'm just really confused to be honest. I don't know what, what their plan is with this. I, I, I honestly think again, I don't, we don't have the footage. We don't have any reports of the war room and kind of what the negotiations were, but it must have just been low ball offers for Lowry. Um, especially given that he is a unrestricted free agent. And knowing that the Raptors weren't going to go anywhere, I'm sure the 76ers, the Heat, um, even the Lakers, who were reportedly interested in acquiring Lowry, um, just weren't willing up, willing to give up draft picks or some of their young guys. Um, and I think with the legacy that Lowry's had in Toronto, and you probably just can't trade him away for you know a borderline young guy that's not going to make an impact with you right away and maybe like a late first round pick. I think it was more, hey, you know, we, we know how much this guy means to us. I know how much, how like this guy could bring us a late playoff push into either a play, uh, play-in game or, you know, a concrete seed in the Eastern standing. So I think that's Masai thinking. But again, I don't know. I, I, I also had kind of had him checked out um, and traded at the trade deadline. So, you know, 
well, and he hasn't been in play. He's been hurt with like a foot infection. So you haven't really been seeing him. So it kind of sucks that we weren't able to get any value from, uh, from his services. But what were your thoughts on the Norman Powell trade? Well, yeah, first, uh, another thing I just want to mention is the jokes. The joke is actually on the other teams because I'm, I think you mentioned this in the, in the group that we our group chat. And, you know, we, we picked up Marcus Saul at the trade deadline and without a guy like that, we would have never had a chance in 2019 and winning a championship. Um, I think the jokes on the teams that didn't pick up Lowry because he could have been such a valuable asset to a team like Philadelphia who needs that veteran is they're missing. I know they got Danny green, but um, they they're missing a guy that's been there and done that. That's kind of what they needed. I think in order to uh, in, succeed in the playoffs, same with Miami. I thought that they could have really, really used Kyle Lowry. And um, it's, it's an awkward, it's a weird year, you know, with, with COVID and stuff like that. And it can go any direction in any team's mm-hmm. way. So I thought that a team could have really used Lowry. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll never know. Uh, with regards to Nora Powell, I mean, at first it really hurt because, I mean, he's just playing such good basketball and he's been a testament to our organizational values in terms of player development. He started from the bottom and has literally put himself in a position to earn max money. So just to see him go, it definitely hurt. It it looks like Gary Trent Jr. is a really solid player. Um, He can get very hot very quickly. And I think that Toronto sort of thinks that, hey, like we can turn Gary Gary Trent into a similar player defensively as Norman Powell with the right development. Yeah, well, Gary Trent Jr. is only 22 years old. Yeah, he's 22 years old. It feels like he's been in the league for a while, but it's his third year. You know, he's played behind Lillard, played behind McCollum. Um, similar to Norman, I think the Raptors are just hoping to get younger and hoping that a 22-year-old can develop into something that Norman Powell is right now at 27. And again, he, he uh, Gary, or not Gary Harris, sorry, Gary Trent is a restricted free agent. So again, the Raptors can match any offer that any other team's um, want to want to give him. So I think be able to retain him as a player, whereas Norm Powell, un- unrestricted free agent, another team give him $80, $90 million. And the Raptors are probably screwed because they've tied up all their money into OG, into Fred Van Vliet and o- into Siakam. So I think it was the right move. Again, he's kind of showing us uh, that it is the right move right now with the way he's been playing, but we can get, kind of get that um, conversation rolling a little further down into this pod um what are your thoughts on the bio market move you know we had andre drummond um going to the lakers blake griffin and lamarcus aldridge go to the nets you know there's some conversations about oh, okay well these guys haven't been playing well all year now the media wants to make it a big deal that they're joining the super team like what are, what are your thoughts on those like three major moves that uh, were part of the buyout market yeah i think I think my thoughts are just with the buyout market in general. Um, I was reading an article by Kirk Goldsbury and basically what he was just saying was like the, the NBA landscape is essentially, you know, two leagues, you got the destination markets and then you got the organizations that have to rely on their player development and actually be like real organizations from the top, from the top down. Right. Because uh, there's no, there's no room for error. You have to draft well, you have to develop well, and you hopefully have to um, produce, you know, all-stars and superstars in order to be successful. Uh, The Raptors fall into that category. Memphis falls into that category. Oklahoma City falls into that category, right? Um, 
But then you get the destination markets like the Lakers, Miami, the Knicks. And, you know, they can be flawed in terms of like an organizational composition. Like they can have bad management, but they're always going to get the best player, right? Um, and we see it. So I think that uh, the buyout market is just sort of icing on the cake for those destination markets. And I find that to be frustrating. And I think the, the, the year that it really started catching my attention was when Kyle Korver went to the Cavs and it was like, really? Like they, do they need, mm-hmm. do they even need Kyle Korver? And he was huge for them making that playoff push and ultimately winning the championship. Right. So, I mean, there's two sides to the equation. I mean, these teams that let go these players, I mean, sorry, these teams are letting go of these players. Um, so it should essentially be their decision to go where they want to go. Um, but I feel like there should be some buyout market reform um, because it does just give the the destination markets the ability to stack the deck, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I definitely think they need to think of something innovative or just change it up a little bit because, again, it, it, it gives such a disadvantage to the smaller market teams that are, that are in contention um, and not having the, you know, the... The, the name behind like the Lakers or the Celtics and um, it, it definitely ruins the bit of the comp- competitive landscape um, when you think about it, even though it's a minor one, because again, these guys haven't been playing well, so that's why they're being bought out, but they can make an impact. I, I feel like Andre Drummond will make a huge impact for the Lakers down the stretch when, you know, we saw Marcus Gasol not playing very well um, last year in the, play- in the playoffs and then him either being a starter or coming off the bench is going to be huge for the Lakers, especially in the long run in a long playoff uh, series for them. I think Andre Drummond is highly underrated. He, if, if he just accepts the role of a, being a rebounder, a rim runner, a guy that can, you know, be a bit active on the defensive end and just provide them with energy because they don't even uh, take hook, hook shots and jumpers around the rim because that's not his game. Like this guy will get you 15 boards, 15 boards easily, you know, with his eyes closed on any given night. And if he's able to do that, give Anthony Davis a bit of rest and, you know, sub in for Marcus Gasol when he's not playing well, then honestly, they are a complete team once they're, they're back and healthy. Yeah. I mean, like, how can you even compare Dwight Howard to Andre Drummond? Like what an upgrade. Yeah. And it was done in the yeah. buyout market. Exactly. So they give up nothing. They, they don't lose any short-term, um, yeah, short-term stock in terms of draft picks or young players to give out. They just basically just gave them, paid a part of a salary and they got him. So again, definitely a loophole for them that they're taking advantage of, but that's definitely something that the, the league has to uh, look into just to keep the competitive landscape uh, a little more even. Um, in other news, you know, we, uh, we're talking about kind of the basketball landscape, you know, the, the actual teams involved and kind of the, where every, everyone kind of standing at right now, but within the ESPN world and social media world, we had Paul Pierce uh, on IG Live uh, about two weeks ago. And, you know, he had uh, posted a, a live video at his house. There's a party, some strippers, some poker chips, uh, you know, some alcohol. His eyes are a little red. And the next day, ESPN lets him go. 
And, you know, he was a huge component on the jump with Rachel Nichols. Um, he was on TV every week. You know, he's a huge part of the NBA family. And, you know, if you agree or not, or you disagree, you know, ESPN had to let him go because, you know, they're, they're owned by Disney, which is a family network. So, you know, what are your thoughts on his dismissal and just kind of that whole fiasco that happened uh, a few weeks back? You forgot about the massages, the dances, <laughs> the twerking. Uh, honestly, like, I think what, what really, I, what made me feel real uneasy was that I saw in a post that he was making $1.5 million a year with ESPN. And if that's true, then I just feel bad for the guy because he is not making that kind of money with any tech, with any broadcasting company going forward. And, you know, it was kind of like, it was kind of laughable that he was even making that type of money because Paul Pierce, in my opinion, was never a great basketball analyst. Um, you know, I, I do watch the NBA jump I, here at the shop and, you know, he never has anything really intelligent to say. Um, you know, he's been on TV for like four years now. And, you know, everyone, it's always a rough start for these athletes when they go on TV. Like think about Richard Jefferson, Shaquille O'Neal, both of them are just outstanding now, but you know, you watch them early on and they definitely go through their growing pains. Like Vince Carter is going through it now. Um, I remember Paul Pierce's like first couple months on ESPN. He was just spewing junk, like just these hot takes, these terrible hot takes. And over the course of three years, it didn't get much better. So the fact that he still had a job with ESPN is pretty surprising. The fact that he was making that type of money was pretty mm -hmm. surprising. And I just find it hard to believe that he's going to have that type of career with any other broadcasting company, because like, I couldn't see a company like Barstool, you know, picking him up. Like he's not a great analyst and uh, yeah. yeah, just in the, he, I don't, I don't know what that guy was thinking, man. It came out of nowhere. Yeah. That came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Super unfortunate for him. But again, this isn't the first time we've seen people involved in the NBA kind of have some blunders and mishaps on social media, even just to name a few with KD and his, Burner accounts. We had the whole D'Angelo Russell incident with Nick Young and uh, Iggy Azalea. I know Jamal Murray Kitchener's very own had an unfortunate Instagram um, blunder with with his girlfriend. And then even like think of like NBA executives and like Brian Colangelo and his the whole thing with his wife and that Twitter uh, fiasco. So is there anything else like any other of those events that you can think of that kind of fall within the NBA circle and guys just, you know, using social media to, to the detriment. Yeah. I mean, at least Jamal Murray backed it up with his play in the bubble. Um, you know, just dropping 50 <laughs> points, uh, 50 points on a nightly basis. I feel like he did a really good job of just like overcoming that whole, that whole yeah. obstacle and fiasco. But yeah, I mean, you said it, I think the biggest one for me was Brian Colangelo only because he comes from basketball royalty. He's actually like, you know, he's the son of Jerry Colangelo. He actually knows what he's doing in terms of running a front office. And the fact that he was using a burner account, um, chirping the team that he essentially created 
and, and, and expressing his displeasure with like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, like night in and night out. Um, I just thought it was super bizarre. And then like, he just left the front office and I haven't heard of the, heard from the guy since mm-hmm. when yeah. really he was like one of, you know, he's been executive of the year, executive of the year in the NBA before. And the fact that he just drifted into the abyss after that fiasco, was just kind of bizarre. Yeah. He, man, he was executive of the year twice, one with the Suns and one with the Raptors. And yeah, he's, he's definitely a well-respected executive. He, he had that role in with the 76ers. So um, yeah, I guess he's just trying to be silent right now and you know, maybe we'll see his name come up when, when another team looks for GM, but it definitely has been a while since uh, we've heard of um, Mr. Collar himself, pop that collar. It's kind of weird too, because like you think he's so much older and far removed from like the capability to even create a burner account and like use it the way that he was using it. Yeah, well, I think I think they were saying that it was his wife, but again, I don't know the the whole story. And again, that was maybe a year or two ago when that all happened, so uh, not fresh in my mind. But I believe it was his wife that he or that they the investigation. Um, the conclusion was that it was his wife that was using his, that those that account and making those comments about how poorly the 76ers are being run. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Dan Gilbert sending out that like <laughs> that big message in Comic Sans when LeBron when LeBron left via the decision like that was a yeah. stupid move. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, okay, well. Quickly want to talk about the Raptors. I know we haven't really touched base um, and had a conversation with them. I think the last time we talked, they were actually, you know, like at 500. And since then, it's just been a spiral down to the bottom of the standings. Again, they've had a very, um, in terms of their situation, again, playing in Tampa, having, you know, the key players go through the COVID protocols, some of them getting COVID themselves. Even yesterday when they're playing on MSG, the, the ceiling was leaking with rain and they had to stop the game for like half an hour. You know, so this is a super bizarre season for them um, in an already bizarre year for the entire league, the entire world. So right now the Raptors, as we speak, they're 11th in the East with a record of 21 and 33. And they're two full games behind Chicago for the 10th, 10th seed. And Chicago has the tiebreaker. So that's basically three games behind. Again, this is a shortened season. So they probably have like 20 games left or so. So like, what are your thoughts just on what the Raptors need to do? Do you want them to battle for that play-in uh, seed uh, to beat out Chicago? Are you looking for them to, you know, lose these next few games so they can get a high draft pick in the lottery, hopefully, you know, get lucky, get a top three pick, or even with the way they're standing at their top 10 uh, draft pick. So, yeah, just kind of just your general thoughts on Raptors and kind of what to do for the next 20 games before the season um, is over. Yeah, I think the option that provides the biggest reward is trying to uh, draft high in the lottery. I think the last thing you want to do is just sort of be in the middle where you might be in the play-in tournament, but if you're not in the play-in tournament, you're high enough in the standings that you're not going to get a good lottery pick. Um, They don't have a chance of hell, a chance in hell in the playoffs. So I think for them, 
Um, you just have to try to, you just try to, you got to try to score big in the lottery. Um, you have 11 games to, to sort of tank in a sense. And I think that that's the approach that they should adopt. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a very bizarre year for, for any Raptor fans starting in the bubble. Um, you know, if I'm talking a Raptor fan off the ledge, you know, I don't even know what to say. Like, I think it's very uh, fair to be very afraid as a Raptor fan right now, because I mean, look around the association right now, you know, we have a starting lineup of players that have left the Raptors since 2019 that we have gotten zero return for. And it's pretty frightening to see Serge Ibaka playing the way he is. Um, you know, Norman Powell, even though got, we got Gary Trent for him, Norman Powell is doing his thing. There's just a lot of players that have left our team that are playing very well right now. Um, and we got nothing in return. We don't even know if Masai's coming back. And, yeah. you know, he is the most integral piece to our success or has been since 2013. And the fact that he won't give us a straight answer is highly concerning. Not to mention that we didn't trade Kyle Lowry. So now he's going to be an unrestricted free agent and likely going to walk because why he doesn't owe us a sign and trade. You know, if we can figure out the perfect situation, then yeah, I'm sure it can work and we can come to a mutual um, decision, but you know, he's gone. And the fact that all these teams in the East, all these teams in the West are getting so much better. Teams are stacking the deck with all stars and superstars. And I just don't know what direction we can go with given our young core, because like you can say, yeah, look, we got a young core and a lot of money, but you know, the only player that hasn't re-signed with the team is Kawhi and the likely likelihood of him signing with the Clippers are pretty high. So I know I went on a big rant there, but you know, it doesn't look good for the Raptors for the foreseeable 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 future. And um, I don't know what direction they're going to go in. Yeah, the outlook is not looking good, especially with teams that are locking up guys for long term, like the Bucks. They just they just signed Drew Holiday to a huge four year deal, and they have those three guys on that team signed for them. Yeah, for the next four or five years, so they're going to be competitors, and you know, battling for the Eastern Conference Finals for the next three four years. We got the Nets um, with Katie and Kyrie and Harden. You know, I don't know what the contracts look like, but those guys will be together for the next two years at least. Um, and the Raptors, again, they, they're, they're kind of in the middle right now. And that's, again, what I alluded to earlier, that like you don't want to be in that spot. So I'm on, the, on the, I'm on the boat where they need to kind of just secretly tank, just kind of sit Lowry, whatever. I know he's, he's had some foot, uh, foot injuries and like a foot infection. I know Fred Van Vliet, Siakam just haven't been themselves since they got COVID. And man, it's kind of worrisome. I think we really need to bring up the fact that Siakam is not who we thought he was right now, especially if you watch yesterday's game when it was a close game, they got a steal with like 30 seconds left and they could have tied or took the lead against the Knicks and he turned it over at a very crucial time. Sorry, I think it was actually like 10 seconds left in the game. So basically with that turnover, he cost them the game and with all of the missed shots, in crunch time for him and um, him not being able to like 
play up to the standard. I know he's not the number one guy on this team and he should have never been, you know, given this assignment or this role, but it is what it is. And he's just not that guy. So they need to hopefully luck out in the lottery, get a top three, get a top four pick somehow. Um, and they have to retool on the fly. And it's, yeah, the outlook is not looking great, especially with the teams in the East and West continually getting stronger, stacking the deck against the Raptors. And yeah, it's, uh, it's not looking great for Raptors fans, man. It, it sucks because we had such a great run the last, last six, seven years of, you know, being a top three, top four team in the East. And it's, it's hard to look at the standings every day and seeing the Raptors not move from that 11th spot uh, for the last few weeks. Not looking good. <laughs> yeah, but um, I know you've had a long day, man. I know you're still in the shop. So I uh, just want to quickly wrap it up. Any, any other comments uh, on your end before, before we do that? No, the one thing I wanted to point out with regards to uh, just reactions to moves that teams made. Um, I think I had my first like Pat Riley godfather moment during the trade deadline because, you know, he's been around the NBA for so long and there's so much like mystique around him and they call him the godfather of basketball. But really, like I didn't I haven't really seen him make, um, you know, any great moves since I've been watching basketball because he's been in the league for so like I know he got. Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron, but I don't think that was like, you know, his master plan. It sort of just happened. Um, but what they did with Victor Oladipo, I thought was a ninja move. The fact that they are essentially renting him. And, you know, he was a player that has said he's wanted to play in Miami for a really long time. They would have had to, you know, sign him in free agency this summer. But the fact that they got him from Houston for virtually nothing um, like Kelly mm-hmm. Olenek is a pretty good player, but they essentially got Victor Oladipo for virtually nothing and they get to test him out for a year and decide, um, whether they keep him or, or ditch him. And the fact that, um, they did that so quickly when they sort of telegraphed that their eyes were on Kyle Lowry. And then they did that in the back door. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Miami is still a threat in there, man. They, they're just quiet. I know they, they've had injuries. They've had players miss. Uh, missed some games because of COVID, and they're just hovering around that seventh, sixth, seventh seed. They're definitely going to be competitive, especially when Oladipo gets um, accustomed to playing with those guys. And again, Jimmy Butler, we know what he can do. We know what those guys, um, shooters can do when they get hot. We saw that in the bubble last year with Tyler Hero and uh, the rest of the rest of the guys there. So they're they're definitely a team to look out for. Um, I actually like the, like him a lot. I just like how well Bam plays. I love the way Jimmy Butler plays, and they do have a really, really nice team. So they're definitely a team that I'll be rooting for if the Raptors don't make uh, the playing game. And yeah, I'll be watching a lot of their their playoff series as they you know move along the uh, playoff uh, series. But uh, yeah, um, let's let's wrap it up again. Thanks everyone for listening. Nav, thanks for uh, staying a little over time there. I know, I know you want to get home, get some dinner in you, and uh, just rest up, buddy. All right, man. Well, uh, it was good chat with you, and uh, we'll figure out a time to connect within the next week. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's, I'm excited for Saturday. I'm excited to get out on the links and, uh, you know, catch up with the boys. Can't wait, man. Bye, man.
Take care. Take care.